Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Life in Madland podcast. So I thought I'd start off today by talking about one of the things that I've been watching recently on Netflix, uh, which is stand-up comedy. Something I've never really been particularly interested in in the past, but I've just recently got into it. Um, I've watched Chris Rock's Netflix special, um, I've watched one of Dave Chappelle's and one of Bill Burr's as well. Um, really recommend all three of them actually really enjoyed them and one of the things that it got me thinking about was how um, the three that I've just mentioned all use kind of fairly controversial humor in their work and yet they're now kind of fairly mainstream comedians um, watched by millions on their Netflix specials as, as well as other things that they do and it reminded me of how people that are quite right-wing always saying that people these days are too easily offended and they claim that people weren't as easily offended back in the day um, which they usually seem to be referring to kind of the war and the post-war years so the 40s and the 50s and I've always considered this to be one of the biggest myths that you get from the right wing it is true that some people are too easily offended these days and you know there are people who can be really ridiculous you have to walk on eggshells with them all the time and you know you say one wrong thing and they'll get upset about it even if your intentions aren't at all bad but the truth is and the reason why this is a myth that people are too easily offended these days is because people have always been too easily offended the older generation that they refer to the from the 40s and the 50s, they do have a lot of admirable qualities. And, um, you know, a lot of people in my life, my grandparents, I've really admired. And there's lots of things about them that I think you can learn from. But the truth is, um, kind of older people are very easily triggered uh, possibly more easily triggered than kind of millennials. Uh, they're just triggered by different things. That, that's the only difference. If you were to go back to the 50s, for example, people were literally protesting against rock and roll music. Um, people protested against Elvis Presley and burnt his albums because they thought that listening to rock and roll music was going to make uh, teenagers have sex with each other. So it's not as if these people, uh, you know, had a really thick skin. And if you talk to much older people today, um, you know, I don't get why uh, these right-wing people think that they're not easily offended, because they are. There's so many things you can talk to older people about that will quite often get them a bit worked up, you know, such as matters like immigration, for example. Um and the truth is that these comedians that I've been watching, the likes of Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, they would have never got on TV in the 40s and 50s because their material would have been considered far too offensive or controversial or political in nature or, or whatever to uh, get on TV or, or get on the radio. So the idea that people are really easily offended now and weren't back then is a total myth it's completely wrong there's always 
been people that are too easily offended there always will be people that are too easily offended and if anything i would say that um millennials are um not as easily triggered as older people in my own experience one of the good things about lockdown recently is it feels as if supermarkets are starting to go a little bit more back to normal I've noticed that the last two times I've done a supermarket visit, I haven't actually had to queue up. I'm someone who's, uh, and this might sound really sad, I've always really enjoyed going to the supermarket. I've always liked going and doing my weekly shop. And I actually just quite like browsing supermarkets. It's quite infuriating to go and and do a weekly shop with me because I I do like to go down every single aisle and kind of look at pretty much every item it can take quite a long time um and i have to say the staff at the supermarkets have been doing a really great job it's a stressful situation that they're in um you know they are some of the people who are on the the front line of what's going on but they always have come across to me as being really friendly and really chatty and that is especially important when you're on lockdown and you don't get out anywhere near as much as you used to you know sometimes uh, going out and to the supermarket and talking to the person at the checkout that might be the first time you've talked to a new person all week so when they're smiley and friendly it does make a big difference i have done a bit of retail work myself in the past um i spent a few months over a Christmas period once uh, working boots on the fragrance counter, uh, which I realised isn't the, the most manliest job title in the world, but uh, it was actually a, a really great job. And uh, and I worked at B&Q for about a year uh, before I went into teaching. And the job is stressful enough as it is uh, without all the corona stuff going on. Working in retail, it was good fun. One of the main reasons it was good fun was because it was a social atmosphere. There's always a lot of opportunities to talk to co-workers and, of course, a lot of opportunities to talk to customers as well. Uh, but there are things that make the job quite difficult too. Uh, one of the things is the kind of section managers, um, the people that are given that, that little bit of power They'll be given a, like a 20p per hour pay rise and uh, that can turn some of them into uh, kind of mini Hitlers, basically. I don't know why, but the, a little bit of authority, a little bit of power in a retail setting does seem to really go to uh, certain people's heads. Uh, there's also issues when dealing with the public, when dealing with customers, there's this kind of old-fashioned attitude that the customer is always right. And I can tell you from experience, the customer is very often wrong. Part of what you see from this kind of attitude is that you will get blamed for things that are completely out of your control that you can actually do nothing about. So um, particularly when I worked at b and I remember uh, customers would often have a go at me for things that we don't stock. Um, for example, a lot of people seem to be under the impression that B&Q would have lots of things to do with cars, a bit like Halfords. Um, 
there's a very small section in in the shop with a few things for cars but we're literally talking like a a few um air fresheners stuff like that and uh, customers would maybe get annoyed about this and they'd talk to you about it as if you had any kind of authority or control over what the shop sold but of course there's absolutely nothing that you can do about that you could always tell which customers were going to be difficult they say that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover but you could tell from a mile away which customer was going to make your life a bit difficult that day and um it was uh, the way that they would carry themselves uh, mostly um they would look annoyed they would look frustrated they would um look at you as if they were kind of looking down on you um and and you just knew there was going to be some kind of issue uh, even before they came up to your till uh but overall it was mostly positive experiences working in retail i did enjoy it there's there's things that i miss about it um but i'm just appreciating that there's there's also a lot of difficulties that they have to put up with as well which makes it even more impressive that um they're still able to be friendly and smiley so i think if they can put up with all of the normal difficulties of working in retail as well as putting up with all of the stresses that have come with corona people panic buying um people probably getting more upset and frustrated as usual um people refusing to follow rules that have been put into place to protect each other um if they can deal with all of that, they definitely deserve a pay rise after all of this is over. Uh, and hats off to anyone that has worked in retail over this period. But of course, you know, let's let's be honest, they probably won't get a pay rise, even though they very much deserve it. And uh, I do wonder, the supermarket's making quite a big profit at the moment. I imagine they probably are, although I might be wrong. Um, if they are, then certainly the staff deserve to see some of the benefits of that so i've written a short story today and it's kind of along the theme of younger people maybe not being as easily offended as uh, they're portrayed to be it's called meet the parents jamie had never met the parents of a girlfriend before this was because emmeline was his first serious girlfriend they had ever had listen she said My mum's all right, but please be careful when you meet my dad. Why is that? he asked. Is he a bit overprotective? Will he be sat there in a white vest with a can of lager, seeing whether I'm man enough to date his daughter? No, pretty much the opposite of that. Ah, I see. Uptight type. Always wearing a shirt, even when he's at home. Earns almost six figures and thinks that anyone who earns any less is just being lazy. No, you're wrong again. He's a man of strong morals. He's super liberal. That's okay. I'm liberal too, aren't I? Not in the same way that he is. You can't do any inappropriate banter with him or anything like that. He'll think you're being disrespectful. Oh, come on. I'll never be disrespectful to him or you, especially not in his own home. No, not disrespectful to him. Disrespectful to other people. He's very hot on treating everyone equally. What, so you can't have a joke with him or anything? No, you can't, to be honest. Seriously. Unless you're making a joke about Donald Trump or Boris Johnson or someone like that. 
well, that's all right then. I've got loads of jokes about Trump. I mean, they practically write themselves. After all, he does know that I'm not completely white. Yeah. I told him that your mum's dual heritage. That's the other thing. He's going to make a big deal about it to try and make you feel welcome. Oh, for God's sake. Can't he just treat me like a normal person? No, unfortunately, he really can't. When Jamie approached Emmeline's parents' home the following weekend, he was full of trepidation. Emmeline's dad opened the door to him. He had a thick moustache and beard and hair that hung loosely down the back of his head. Jamie, he said excitedly, I'm Stephen. May I give you a hug? Yeah, sure. He embraced Jamie with his long skinny arms. Men should hug more often, don't you agree? Yeah, you're probably right. Good, good. And you should always ask permission before you hug someone. Well, I think sometimes you can tell that someone wouldn't mind if you gave them a hug. Emmeline shot Jamie a panicked look. Really? You would hug someone without asking them first? Well, sometimes, yeah. I mean, I hug Emmeline without asking her. The look on Stephen's face told Jamie that he had said the wrong thing. He mentally kicked himself as they were ushered inside the home. It was large and expensive looking. The decor was purposefully mismatched in a carefully eccentric style. Inside, they met Emmeline's mother, a woman called Sophie who had light red hair and a kind face. She ushered them to the kitchen table that was presented with some fish Stephen had prepared for dinner. Jamie, announced Stephen, you will have to forgive me for our cultural appropriation, but we have prepared some traditional chambo for you. You're not offended, are you? If you are, then I do apologise profusely. We can change it for something else. Oh no, not at all. My mum says enjoying a different country's food is cultural appreciation rather than cultural appropriation. Oh no, Jamie, you mustn't say that. It's making light of a very serious issue. Oh, sorry, no offence meant. Anyway, what is chambo? What is chambo? Well, it's one of the signature dishes of Malawi. You're seriously telling me you've never heard of it before? No, never. Dad, Emmeline interrupted, Jamie's never even been to Malawi. You probably know more about it than he does. Emmeline, let me stop you there. You know that I would never claim to understand somebody else's culture better than... No, Dad, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying... Look, it doesn't matter. The food looks great. Let's just enjoy our dinner. It does look lovely. Thanks, Stephen. Do you do all the cooking or does Sophie do some of it too? The kitchen is definitely my forte, Jamie. If you want a meal cooked for you, then come to me. But if you want your car fixed, then you can go to Sophie. Isn't that right, my love? Well, I wouldn't say that, said Sophie. I I know a few bits and pieces, I guess. Later on, they all went into the living room and had a few drinks. Jamie had been hoping that this was going to chill Stephen out a bit, but his conversation only seemed to be becoming more intense, despite everyone else's attempts to steer it in a more light-hearted direction. Now, Jamie, said Stephen, I don't know if Emmeline has told you who she was named after. Well, we've never discussed it, but I assume she's named after Emmeline Pankhurst? Yes, very good. You know a bit about Emmeline Pankhurst, then? No, not really. But I know she was a suffragette, wasn't she? Oh, come on, Jamie. You can do better than that. She was one of the most famous suffragettes of all time. You must know more than that about her. No, I honestly don't. Sorry. 
The next couple of hours were spent being given a detailed history on the life and accomplishments of Emmeline Pankhurst from Stephen. Normally Jamie liked to learn new things, but he'd been praying for some general chit-chat just to help him relax. Also, had had a few too many drinks, and now that alcohol was making his head swim slightly, and he couldn't actually take in much of what Stephen was saying. By the time they went to bed, he felt completely exhausted, and Emmeline looked the same. In fact, so did Sophie. The only person who still seemed to be full of energy was Stephen. Now, said Stephen, I'll get out the air mattress and you can go and sleep in the living room. Oh, okay. I'm only joking with you. We're not living in a Victorian era anymore. You two can, of course, share a bed. You don't need to worry about any kind of judgment in this house. What two consenting adults do is absolutely none of my business, even if it is my daughter. Dad said Emmeline. Did he seriously have to say that? Jamie desperately tried to hide the look of discomfort that he knew had appeared on his face. The next day, when they got into the car to go back home, they both breathed a silent sigh of relief. During breakfast, the conversation hadn't got any lighter until Sophie had finally said that maybe they should talk about something else. Unfortunately, this had been followed by silence, punctuated only by the sounds of everyone finishing their food. I'm sorry about Dad. Don't be silly, he was only trying to be nice. I know, but oh my God, why does he have to be like that? Is he like that all the time? Literally. I don't know how Mum puts up with it. She seemed really nice. Yeah, Mum is lovely and easygoing, when she's able to get a word in edgeways anyway. They started the drive back home. After a while on the motorway, Jamie began to laugh to himself. What are you laughing about? asked Emmeline. Do you know before I met your dad how I was asking if he was going to be the kind of guy in a vest with a can of beer seeing whether he thought I was tough enough to be with his daughter? Yeah, what about it? I've just realised I probably would have actually found that easier to deal with, to be honest. Be careful what you wish for. Dad might shave his head and start claiming that Tommy Robinson just wants to help people. Oh God, can you imagine? You are right though, he could be worse. So that was my short story. As always, thank you for listening. Look after yourselves, stay happy, and goodbye.